0: Hello everyone and welcome to your next episode of Mahita Talks. I'm your host Sherry Altergott, Chief Experience Officer of the CX Edge. Today we're going to go a little bit off the beaten path from some of our other episodes. We have Mary Ellen Feiflis, Managing Director of Principal Financial Group with us. Welcome Mary Ellen.
1: Ah, good so, morning
0: Sherry. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, we met for the first time last November at the Women in Industry Conference uh, that Makita hosts. And I had the opportunity to hear you speak on finance and really more personal finance, which I think resonated a lot with the audience. So I couldn't wait to talk to you a little bit more. I'll preface this interview, that some of these questions are just selfishly things that I don't know <laughs> I would like more information on, but I think that you know in talking to other people in the industry and other friends of mine that these are kind of areas when we talk about personal finance and all the different options today that I think people will be interested in, so I'm ready to learn today. I'm ready to kind of pick your brain and get some some answers to some of these burning personal financial questions. I always like to have our listeners get to know our guests a little bit better. So I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about Principal Financial Group and maybe how you got started in the financial industry.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Sharing. it's good to see you again, too. Always, always a pleasure, for sure. Um, so Principal Financial Group, it's been around for 144 years. So it's a <clears throat> financial services company. It's focused on improving wealth and well-being of people and businesses. It's a Fortune 500 company based in Des Moines, Iowa. So I love that it's a Midwest company. And Principal has a niche working with the small to medium-sized businesses. So they provide business owners and their employees with solutions that help them build and protect their business and financial security. That's one of the reasons why we became involved um, with Mahida a couple of years ago. And so I came into this industry gradually. I um always loved working with numbers and helping people. And I actually started out my career working on the commercial side in in the banking world. And um <clears throat> after I took a break from um from my career having my second child, I wanted to uh, get back and and make more of an impact um, by helping people. So I actually started off with the insurance. I was offering health and disability and long-term care and life insurance for individuals as well as small businesses. And then the health insurance industry kind of made some changes, so I needed to change my practice. So I started helping people more with their financial goals by becoming a advisor, in addition to um, providing that insurance protection as well.
0: Well, awesome. That's such a great story. And I I know we don't have a ton of time, so I want to just jump right in. Um, The first question, i even talking, (coughs) excuse me, with some friends of mine, you know, everybody, you know, talks about the importance of saving and making sure that they're saving money but I think there's some debate about what should really be your savings goal? What should you be looking to save or have in a savings account as a percentage of income?
1: Oh, and this is percentage of income. It's It depends on what your goal is, to be honest with you. Um, you need to find out, you know, you have that goal. How much is that going to be? When do I need to get that? To get to that goal especially with when you talk about retirements it really helps being a um, working with some an advisor so they can sit down and really go over all those details of retirement and might even be some things you might even think about in regards to retirement for example I, you might want to continue to travel or um, does it make sense to do you have to work till 70 or can I retire at 67 or 65 or maybe even 62 so they can kind of put all of that together for you and put you on a path but any type of savings goal you have you want to be a smart consumer that's that's probably one of the best practice you can have for any types of of saving goal that you may have whether it's you know, to buy a car, house, whatever. You wanna do your research, look for sales on necessary purchases, especially the large ones. Um, Internet is a great resource for that. Uh, Use coupons for smaller purchases, Um, put yourself, you know, establish a budget for or plan for the week or month, you know, maybe dine out a little less cut down on those impulse purchases, give yourself a uh, 48 hour cooling off period. And if you feel that you still need that item, you can go ahead and do it. The other thing that I would say is I I really uh, encourage people to do um, is to review your phone and, and TV bills or that those streaming services. You'd be surprised you might be paying for things that you're not even using, or you're paying for features that really doesn't matter. Um, yeah. The other thing I would say is resist paying with credit, if possible. Um, people tend to spend less with cash or a debit card.
0: So I find it interesting with the question, I, and I've heard it a number of times before, in terms of trying to pay with cash instead of with the credit card. And I certainly understand the general principle behind that. Um, but in today's environment, with all of the credit cards offering points and incentives, and basically additional cash back on your purchases, you know, where do you really figure out where to draw that line, whether to use, you know, credit or debit?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. And there's and even some places are even discouraging paying for cash, right? And <laughs> They want you to pay by card. So I would say, you know, by establishing that um, budget, or having, as you know, as an expense, uh, how much you want to spend. Make sure that you're only charging what you can pay off by the at the end of the month. So yes. that you know, and again, it it takes a lot of discipline because it's so easy to say, okay, I'm not going to see it till the end of the month. And um, but definitely try to keep within some type of a budget.
0: Yeah, living in a world of immediate gratification, it, it's definitely a challenging proposition. Yeah, yeah. Luckily yeah. for me, my husband's much better at it than I am, so <laughs> i will thrilled at it. I want to say on, on kind of the credit line, and switch gears a, a tiny bit, but when talking about credit score, and I think, you know, the general population listening to this knows what a credit score is, but I'm not sure if people understand what their credit score needs to be or what they should be aiming for. I think for some of us, they're just sort of, arbitrary numbers that are not sure exactly you know what they mean
1: yeah that's true it's because that's all we hear a lot right is the credit score well credit score is really a number just to indicate to lenders your worthiness to to more credit right so they need a way to assess people and determine if it's going to be too much risk to do business with them so having a higher credit score is basically saying, hey, I'm good for it, I'll pay you back, I'm reliable. And your credit score you know, is, requ- is requested by any lender, so whether you're applying for a credit card, financing a car, or even a mortgage. But like you said, what does it really mean? Nobody really understands like, okay, is this number good or is that number good or whatever? So mostly when financial professionals talk about a credit score, they're talking about the FICO score. And so that's mostly used, um, that's the most commonly used score. And that ranges from 300 to 850. So again, what does that number mean? If I'm at this number, am I good? Am I not, you know, and so forth. So Mm -hmm. I will say a score above 800 is is at the high end of the FICO range. It gives you more negotiation power you might even be able to get, or most likely will be able to get a lower interest rate and you can compare several financial institutions when applying for um, credit. Now, the 725 to 800 is still an okay score. You might not have as much leverage as you would over 800, but with 725, you're still in decent shape to find an okay interest rate. So under 725 is a little more problematic. You'll want to work to get it above 725. So you wanna make sure you keep track of your accounts, um, don't make any late payments, and if your credit report is inaccurate, you wanna work with a credit reporting company to get that fixed. So under 725, you might not get into the door to some companies. Others may qualify you, but it's going to be at a higher interest rate, so you want to be careful of that. For a mortgage, you usually need to have at least 680. Um, If you do find a company willing to work with you, most likely it's going to be at a, a, a higher interest rate. So, you know, again, your score isn't the whole story, but you want to make sure you review your credit report. Um, you know, a lot of people know you're entitled to a free credit report every 12 months from three of the major consumer reporting companies. But if your credit score, again, is unexpectedly low, you definitely want to check that report because you might be the victim of identity fraud. So I would just start with that annual credit to get your to get your
0: report. So knowing that if our credit score isn't where we want it to be today, how do we boost it? And, and you mentioned those things of making sure not to make late payments and, and things like that. But people that might already be stuck in that lower credit score might not even have, you know, credit cards to make payments towards to improve their score. So are there actions people can take um, to get out of a, a lower score and into that 725 kind of range?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There are ways you can uh, build your credit and then boost that score. So you want to make sure you keep your oldest credit line. And as I said, you want to pay bills on time and then establish a checking and savings account in your own name. Um, Include your name on utility bills. And I know we talked about credit cards earlier, but open up one or two credit cards in your own name And then, you know, check that credit report, make sure that it's at that um, higher score. The other thing that a lot of people may not realize, so if you have a partner or spouse, you want to avoid putting all the accounts and bills in just one person's name. And I tell you, it's very difficult to change, especially utility bills. (laughs) Um, Because you just think about, okay, it should always be in my spouse's name, you know, and it's like, oh, no, this is, you definitely want to be able to build both, um, both be able to build good credit. You know, the other thing is, um, that I'm dealing with this with my son, you think about kids in college, they don't necessarily have, when they get out of school, a lot of them don't even have credit so they have a low score because there's no history so again just opening one or two cards at least having a checking or savings account in their name is good and i would say you know definitely a lot of them don't have experience with credit cards because you want to make sure you don't get them in more debt (laughs) so maybe have some banks have cards where there's limits on them so you have to prepay those cards and that way, they're not going to go over that limit. So that might just be a good way for them to build credit. Because after school, they might want to, you know, get an apartment or a purchase car or whatever. Because even in school, when they're in an apartment, it might be on someone else's name. So okay. just a few things to think about
0: um, for your, you know, child too. No, I think those are great tips, especially as it relates to kids and kind of building their credit and explaining at a young age what credit means and the impact it can have on your life. Um, You know, speaking of kids and you mentioned your son in college, I know a big thing weighing on a lot of parents' minds is how am I going to pay for my kids' education with the cost of a traditional four-year university continuing to, to rise at a pace that outpaces general inflation. I think that is kind of a daunting thought to even pay for four years or or more than that. So how do you go about, you know, effectively saving for your child's education?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a very uh, common question I get by clients. <laughs> so in college, costs have soared definitely in recent years. So <clears throat> there's a variety of ways to save Um, for college expenses. Um, Some may be familiar with mutual funds, savings bonds, and and life insurance. But there are other accounts that are really geared towards um, education, uh, saving for education costs, such as 529 plans, Coverdell education savings accounts, uniform transfer to minor accounts, and so forth. So Let me go over just a few of them um, that people might not be so familiar with as opposed to the other typical mutual funds and savings bonds. So 529 plans are actually becoming more popular way to save for college because with these plans, Earnings and withdrawals are federally um, tax-free for the qualified education expenses. And then the contributions could also potentially qualify for state deductions if there is a plan that's associated with that state. Um, Contribution limits vary by each state as well. Um, For Illinois, for example, Bright Directions is the qualified plan, and the website actually has really great, helpful resources such as calculating costs for different colleges and, and so forth. Um the Coverdell Education Savings Account used to be called an Education IRA and it allows you to save $2000 after tax per year per child and then it gl- grows tax free as well. Now the Uniform Transfer or Gift to Minors Act plans this um the account is in the child's name but it's controlled by a custodian which is usually a parent or grandparent and then that custodian is the manager of that account until the child reaches either age uh, 18 or 21. And then at that point, the control of the money goes to the child to use any way they choose. So <laughs> that could be a little dangerous, but, um, but those are, are some other different ways that people might not be aware of to save for college.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it comes down to diversifying the way that you do it. And I I know for us, when we first, my daughter's 12 now, we started saving, I think, when she was a year old, (laughs) because just knowing what's coming up, but it's hard to make some of those decisions when they're so young of, are they going to go to college, I don't want to lose the money, you know, how should I spread it out? So I think those are really great tips. I, Um, I agree with you. It is good to diversify, especially for those reasons, for sure. And so kind of staying on the investment topic, I know we talked about how to invest in your child's education. You know, I think a lot of people are looking of how do I get my money to make money? You know, I think that's what we're all really looking to do with any type of additional income we have or savings that we have. So what types of investments should we be looking at to really make the most of our money? Yeah,
1: that's that's a good question. <laughs> what I, I know it's a big one. That's a big yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, well, I will say there's there's not a one size that fits all. You know, when when looking at different investment options, you'll typically find that the lower the risk, the lower the potential return. And the reverse is also true so higher risk means higher potential return so it depends upon some of it depends upon really how much you um, are comfortable with the ups and downs in the market but there are a variety of um, investment options out there and determining which one is the right one for you can depend on what your goals are and, and when you want to reach those goals so What, how much money you're going to need to save and then how long do you have until you need it. So I will say more secure investments such as savings accounts, money market accounts or short-term CDs are appropriate for the short-term goals because you can get money out um, easier. Now, but for the long-term goals, you might want to consider higher risk investments such as long-term CDs, annuities mutual funds stocks and bonds now no investment strategy is going to guarantee a profit but there are some techniques that can help protect against some of those uh, at least investment risk and you had just talked about earlier diversifying diversification is one so you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket And that would, you know, same with investments. So other, some investments might perform really well, while others may not. So you wanna, um, you can protect against that loss through a process called asset allocation. So it involves combining, excuse me, a variety of stocks, bonds and cash into a diverse investment portfolio. And another idea is um, called dollar cost averaging and it's kind of an internal term, but basically what it means, it's an investment strategy based on the idea of investing smaller amounts of money at regular intervals rather than investing one lump sum. So let's say you want to contribute $6,000 to your Roth account this year. So instead of contributing $6,000 at the end of the year, you can contribute that $500 each month, And that way, this approach allows you to acquire shares at many different prices rather than one single price. So it it gives you more of a uh, a higher average typically than it would be maybe just, you know, figuring out, okay, is this going to be a good price or not? You really can't play the market, but um, it's a good way to diversify for sure.
0: Awesome. I I think those are fantastic tips. So. Mary Ellen, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Mahita Talks. Um, I know you've seen some of our past episodes. I think you know about our lightning round. And you, my (laughs) friend, have made it to the lightning round. (laughs) Are you ready to enter?
1: I think so. (laughs) All right.
0: Um, Since we talked finance in in this session today, I started off with a number question for you. Um, What is your favorite number and why?
1: Ooh, it is mm, there's a few, but I'm gonna say number eighteen. It's 18. my birth dates. it's my kid's birthday, both my boys' birthdays.
0: yep, you have to pick that as your powerball number for tomorrow's drawing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think you could invest a lot with a billion dollars, so you think oh. <laughs> something that you do not like doing?
1: One thing I do not like doing? Ooh, um, sitting still for a long period of time, or or, yes, or or waiting, I get impatient. So I'm not good at just sitting still for a long period of time.
0: Fair. What was your favorite childhood TV show? Oh, Flipper. I'm probably aging myself,
1: but (laughs) Flipper, I love the doll. I wanted a pet dolphin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That would be an impulse purchase. Um, Yes. (laughs) Would you rather climb a mountain or jump from a plane?
1: (gasps) Oh, climb a mountain. If
0: you were really, really hungry, would you eat a bug? Yeah, I guess if I was really hungry, I'd have to. But yes. <laughs> fair. Would you rather wake up to an air horn blowing in your ear every day or wake up and have to run four miles every day?
1: Oh, I used to run. Um I think I do the running because I used to love to wake up and just get a good workout in and just be refreshed for the day. So running the four miles. Yep.
0: If you were given the opportunity to fly into space, given today's technology, would you take it?
1: No, no, it just, no, it would just freak me out. (laughs)
0: when was the last time you stayed up past four in the morning oh boy um
1: embarrassing but um i was uh christmas shopping with my son the day after thanksgiving we were up till i think we got home by five <laughs> <And> this <world laughs> was, was crazy but yeah we were on christmas did that that after christmas shopping that was before it was so popular on on the internet. Now it's just you sit in front of the computer and, and yeah. buy purchase our gifts. But yeah, that's that was the last
0: time. <laughs> that's not embarrassing. There are a lot of yeah, well, felt- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if there was a hair in your soup at a restaurant, would you return it?
1: Yes. Yep. That actually happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what
0: is the most boring thing ever um,
1: I don't know if it's the most boring besides for sitting and doing nothing um i i um I think for me watching golf on t v
0: <laughs> ah, it's boring That's <laughs> fair. Uh, fair. Uh, well Mary Ellen, you made it through our lightning round with flying colors so thank you for that i had so many more questions i wanted to ask you today so i think we're definitely going to have to look into um round two uh for another Mahita Talks. because i think there's a lot of questions that that people would like answers to and Um, would like your help with but unfortunately it brings us to the end of our podcast today so quickly i was hoping you could give people some information of how to get in contact with you or principal financial if they wanted some answers some of these questions or anything else that um we talked about
1: oh yeah for sure thanks sherry um i can be reached um at uh my last name is F I F L I S dot mary ellen one word at principal.com they could just go to principal.com um, and and look up a lot of this information as well and then my number is 6308746748 so,
0: Perfect. Yeah. And I know all that information is in the Mahita directory, too. So yep. if you have access to that, you can look up Principal Financial Group. But thank you. I learned a lot today. Thank you for spending so much time with us. And um, hopefully I'll get to see you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Sherry. Appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Mahita Talks.